Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a DLF podcast. This podcast is really, really late for a variety of different reasons. I've tried to fit in stories about giants, stories about Easter Island, stories about a variety of different things that I already know about because I'm meant to be doing every other episode as more of a video essay in podcast form. I guess it should have just been video essays, but I really don't want to record myself doing them. And uh, I want to do this on the podcast. But the whole idea was the reason the inspiration for it stalled out was because it was too much work to do. So I thought I'd do a cheap version of it in that I, I would do the best I could in a week. So I took a week and a half of the second attempt. Dang it. Um, kind of doing a raw notes episode. Um because it's partly scripted and I can't keep trying to find better ways of connecting the dots. Let's go. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and there's a man once. Last week we spoke to Adam Hofstede. One of the things he mentioned that has stuck with me at least is that he believes people underestimate exactly how streaky things can be. As someone who investigates a lot of trends, especially looking at breakouts, that was really interesting to me. Trends are too broad to create media expectations, and streaks end. And this was on my mind a lot while I had a few conversations over the last week and a half now about whether rookies are producing more now than in the past. If that just sounds to you like the hubris of 2014 wide receiver class all over again, or even the 2017 running back class all over again, me too. But while I try not to believe everything I hear, I try to believe even less the things that I hear within the space between my own ears, at least without testing it. I thought it would be a fun topic for this week's podcast, or at this point almost last week's podcast, so let's beeline for the major trend that I ended up deciding on because there were too many and I only know so many things. The easy choice, let's just talk about world population. If you go to a website called worldmeter.info, you can see a live estimate of the world population, a live count of those being born and dying across all countries, everywhere, right now. It's enough to make someone think, this nerd is lying, there can be no way that this is getting accurately live updated. Or, or maybe that's just me. If you scroll down, however, you can see a world population mapped on a timeline from around 300 AD to the present moment. If you zoom in, you can see some very usual trends if you're at all familiar with the data. Human history starts, depending on how you define it, to around 150,000 years ago. Or at least that's when I date it to, because I think that's some of the earliest signs we can see of behavioral modernity, which is kind of where I like to draw the dividing line. But world population has been relatively stable for the majority of that time. It does begin to increase around 10 to 12,000 years ago as the dawn of agriculture develops in certain places in the world where the resources were able to meet the changes of a global climate crisis. I once taught a class on the spread and cause of that development in certain areas where those resources met the increasing need for different methods of food production and the slow and gradual trend in human civilization because of it since. But even after agriculture, the world population doesn't explode exponentially the way it has. Diffusion is fast, but not that fast. Instead, it's not until the development of an industrial system of production where food supply and sedentary, sedentary life is really where we see the population start to explode. But that's not what I notice the most looking at the historical trend line and worldmeter.info. Instead, I notice the parts that are missing. The Black Death 
you know, a cheery subject, in the mid-14th century took the world population down from around 425 million to 350 million, best estimates I could find. But on a timeline like this, it didn't show up at all. You have to zoom in real close to see that dip. An even smaller dip, around 40 million died around World War One. Around 56 million died during and around World War Two, for various different reasons, the primary one being war, one has to imagine. Speaking of global climate change, what's known as the Little Ice Age, which lasted to around 1850 and created a lot of shortages and increased needs, especially in more resource-poor areas across the world, and may well have contributed to civilizations failing and collapsing, such as the Norse population of Greenland. But that's history's awful up in the air as well. World population has trended upwards consistently, although since 1951, its growth rate has slowed considerably. This is directly from worldmeter.info, to be fair, where they literally tell you that the world population doubled between 1959 to 1999. That's an increase of 3 billion. But it won't increase again for, by another 3 billion for another 40 years. That's the same number of the same time rate, but it's a decidedly slower growth rate. It's not going to double. It's just going to increase by another 3 billion in another 40 years at current estimates. While concerns of resource depletion have been common in social science, personally I studied history, but it's common throughout most of those disciplines if you ever study them at college or even uh, upper high school, I imagine, in America. And those have actually populated most of those disciplines since the 19th century. But the fact remains the trend line is up and there's still more than enough food for everyone, although distributing it has been somewhat of a hot topic, shall we say. At the same time, it tells you little about whether 40 million people are going to die over the next five years because of a historical event. Again, not to be too cheery. The world population is increasing. It's a true trend. It's as true as a trend can be true. Fun wordplay is fun. And it does little to explain next year or the next 10 years or even the next 100s. And Given our tendency to explain the past based on the present, we have mostly overestimated how much information that gives us. For example, for the last 10 years, it's largely been, a popu- it's largely been popular to explain the loss of population on Easter Island because of the people's inability to find a balance in an island ecosystem on that particular environment, in that particular environment. That Polynesians who first landed there cut down the trees, allowed salinization of the soil because of wind breezes that were no longer protecting the soil because of the loss of the trees, gradually destroying the environment. But recent scholarship has asked some questions, like why, if they were so hungry, did they instead sneak onto ships to steal tablecloths and not food when a few European explorers came along? And why did the sailors actually beg for food off the natives, trading some of those tablecloths and linings for food instead of the other way around? And why do their skeletal remains show less malnutrition than the average skeletal remains of Europe from the same period? And if they had devastated the island so thoroughly and were so unable to feed themselves because of how much they had destroyed their environment, why does everything look the way it does in that it looks exactly the opposite of that way? And <laughs> moving massive tuff, I think the rock they those stone heads are built of is actually called tuff, which is also kind of ironically weaker than basalt. So it's called tuff, but it's I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, anyway, why were they busy moving those stone blocks around 
using all their energy to accomplish all those tasks. I think there are somewhere in upwards of over 3,000 of them, by the way. And largest of which was over two telephone poles high, which is pretty impressive. If they were so hungry, why does everything look like they weren't so hungry? Also, especially towards the end of their archaeological record, if they were so desperate and resources were so depleted and they were so hungry, why is there no evidence of clear conflict? In fact, Easter Islanders look to have been one of the more peaceful societies anywhere, even relative to their population. There's no defensive structures, there are no signs of weapons, and the weapons that are made archaeological testing proves they were mostly used to cut plants and vegetables and not people. In fact, they have an impressively low death by violence rate. Less than 2% of all burials seem to show some evidence of death by violence rather than natural causes or disease or various other things. Why was I talking about this? All right. Um, If we're going to understand the difference between a trend and a streak, we should really consider individual examples and what they look like in a broader trend line. That's why. On average, wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft since 2001 have averaged 418 yards, receiving yards. But since 2018, the average is 495. That's 80 yards more. On average, since 2001, a draft class produces two wide receivers, two wide receivers who finish in the top 36 in their rookie season. But since 2019, the average is four, and no class has produced less than three since 2019. Before 2019, the same number of top 12 breakouts that have ever happened, happened since 2019. Is this a trend? In 2005, Charles Mann published a book called 1491, which I hate him for because there's no way of referencing it without mentioning three dates in a row. But anyway. It was a book about the Americas before Columbus. In Mann's book, he mentioned a mistake made by an anthropologist in the 1950s, a mistake not unfamiliar to anyone who studied classics, one that has, like I said, been riddled through the 20th century scholarship, and much of modern discourse is trying to unpeel the aftershocks of this simple mistake. Alan Holmberg wrote an ethnography of the Siriano called The Nomads of the Longbow, In it, he described a primitive and undeveloped people, a people without history, a noble savage. They numbered less than 200 by the time he met them. Hollenberg presumed that these people in the modern-day Bolivia had simply never advanced, had existed for as long as they had, lost in a drift from the ravages of complexity and of history. And I want to point out here that he lived with these people for over two years, and as any ethnographer would, very likely came to respect and care about them greatly, before I demean his conclusion too much. But he was wrong. No human group has lived without history. Human groups don't progress in a linear line from one stage of existence to the other. We do not always develop in one direction, nor in fact seem to have a clear direction in mind at all. But beyond that, the Syriana had not been always as technologically simple or as small a group as when he met them. In fact, they were the descendants of a vast culture of over 2,000 strong not 100 years before that. The knowledge had been lost, as it can be, when within a generation your population is drained dramatically and without much warning. Disease was the primary cause of most population loss in the Americas, as far as we can tell. The high counters have got it up to like 95% of the population was dead before Europeans met them because of disease, but that's an extremely high estimate. Often before Europeans ever met these Native American groups, their population had been reduced from two hundreds from thousands. Knowledge had been lost even before it was 
South America built and lost empires as sophisticated as any in the old world, before the old world even arrived, and worked to burn down the ones that remained. The evidence was as clear as the Easter Island heads. Literally, there were stone almanac heads, and still are, that we have no, we, we have very little idea of who the almanac were. Not to mention Mayan walls and Inca temples that Inca temples that dot the landscape across that part of the continent. But when you try to explain the past in a way that describes the present, you do make mistakes, as I said. But when you are mistaken about the present for very particular reasons, you're likely to make further mistakes. The Hollenberg mistake was the mistake of European history and anthropology and social science. When you see the stone heads of the Olmecs or the vast midden shells of the Georgian coast or the relics of the Mayan temples, it's easy to wonder what giants lived before the people living in those ruins walked ahead of them, especially when you already think something very definite about the people living among those ruins. We've not really become that much more intelligent over time. We've learned to adjust our perspective, if anything. Something that neatly explains what we think of the present is always suspect. If you can explain all of today by looking at part of the past and drawing a line between the two, it's probably wrong. But how, you might be wondering... I am at this point, does this reconnect the Dynasty Fantasy Football? It doesn't, apart from in every way that it does, and that it's exactly the same. Rookies are getting more involved. No, but it can look like it. Since 2001, the increase in passing attempts per game of the NFL has, inc- has a correlation to change over time of around 63%. The NFL is passing more, and we should but we should not expect every year to be higher than the year before it, because that's the way trends actually work. The average NFL offense has produced more passing yards per game since 2000, moving from 215 yards to a peak of 259 yards per game in 2015. But the average has actually decreased every year over the last three, dropping to 231. That's a low that hasn't been reached since 2009, In other words, there is a logical sounding case behind rookies' yards and targets increasing, coaches being more willing to use rookies more often and early. However, the production increases are better explained by broader NFL production trends, and and rookie usage relative to the size of the offenses in each of those years is much more stable. There have been five rookies to break out inside the top 12 since 2001. All of them occurred over the last three draft classes, yes. Uh, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle in 2021, Justin Jefferson in 2020. But before that, we did see Michael Thomas in 2016 and Odo Beckham in 2014. And before that, Anquan Bolden in 2003. On average, a draft class produces two wide receivers with two more, t- two or more top 12 seasons. Only three draft classes have produced five such players. 2001, 2010, and 2014. That's not a trend. It's just spotty and very unlikely. If instead we think about wide receiver production as waves, it better explains the pattern. Between 2005 and 2008, we see the first trough, resulting in the steady increase until the peak in 2014 before another smaller downturn. Between 2019 and 2021, we see another more acute peak very recently. While rookie production has increased over this time span, the correlation in yards and targets is explained by the increase in receiving usage in the NFL in total. The yards and target share has about a 13% correlation to change over time, whereas stats that show productive relative to the size of NFL offenses they are on 
is much more stable. It's got around a 7% correlation to that change over time, barely correlating to any change at all. Rookie production does trend up, but their overall team relative volume is much more suspect and better explained as a product of good streaks of incoming players coupled with slow progressive increases in receiving production overall. What's more, on a year-to-year basis, even if teams are using rookies more, or rookies were more often more talented, like passing attempts per game, it is not year-over-year, is not a year-over-year trend we can bet on. 2023 could produce a worse hit rate, the same way 2022, that great rookie class everyone's now obsessed with, actually produced fewer league yards per game than 2021. If we start looking outside the rookie season and expand to the first two or the first three years, the trend of slow rookie increases across all these stats disappears entirely. While peaks and troughs remain, the slight increase in draft class production over time flatlines. Some of the most fantasy impactful classes have also had the least cumulative rookie seasons. 2017 only had two players finish inside the top 25 in their rookie season, Juju and Cooper Cup. 2010, for my money, one of the best, if not the best, draft class producing um, at the wide receiver position. It actually produced five top five finishes versus 2014, which only produced four. It's marginal, but I mean, they're the only two classes to produce more than two. It's one of the most notable dips in rookie year production, but saw Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker break out in their third year, Des Bryant and Victor Cruz break out in their second year, and Antonio Brown, a second year breakout, wasn't even inside our data set because he was drafted in the sixth round. Neither was Victor Cruz, but I forgot to write that in my notes. Trends. Actual trends work over such a long time scale as to make single year predictions for individual players dubious and that's being very very generous we are in a period of decline in overall production not increase right now while some are beginning to think that rookie production is trending up as a rule simply because of a misunderstanding of the nfl passing game over time production trends are streaky not trendy as we experience them while the line may go up broadly we know the line is unlikely to continue to trend up forever as well it's probably true of population as well And even while trending up, there will be dips. What's more, I think we're actually in a period of rookie decline, starting with the 2022 class. The last three draft classes have been phenomenal phenomenal for fantasy. That's true. But while 2020 and 2021 both produced some of those top 12 wide receivers in their rookie seasons, 2022 did not. And actually, if you look at the average of players drafted in the first three rounds, despite the abnormally high number of rookies who were fantasy relevant in year one, they actually produced yet fewer yards on average and fewer targets on average than 2020, than 2021. 2022 was actually the worst draft class we've seen over the last three. We're in the dip. We just started it. 2022 was the first draft class in three not to produce a top 12 wide receiver, and the NFL passed for less yards per game than it did since 2009 on average for the league proper. Like assumptions, mistakes are things we make without knowing them. I might be making some here as well. But a lot of mistakes are simply a tendency to believe our experience must be represented in the data without noticing our experience is often inaccurate. A lot of assumptions are based on convenient explanations. Most of all, be wary of giants and a trend in the mythology of analysis. The mower 
who are not saying it right, so I'm going to keep just saying Easter Island statues, were built by people and they were moved by people. No one does that if they can't feed themselves well. What's more, they have and had bodies. I only mention that because famously we call them Easter Island heads because of that one picture or those few pictures that became very, very famous. But there are upwards of 3,000 of them and the majority of them, especially the completed ones that were successfully moved or attempted to be moved, were carved with bodies. And to me, that's just another example of how what everyone knows is very often not true. The Easter Island heads is not a thing. The Easter Island statues, they are full statues. Anyway, just because everyone says and thinks a thing doesn't make it true, and just because it seems obvious definitely does not make it obvious. Never believe what you hear, especially in the space between your own ears, or especially if you hear it on this podcast, to be fair. Test it, go see what you think, ask me if you can't find the data and I will give it to you, but always consider that everyone or anyone in your league thinks a certain thing is true. Most often the biggest edge is in considering whether or not it is in fact not true. Something like that. I don't know, I didn't get to write a final sentence. Can you tell I'm making it up on the fly? Let me know what you think. Thanks for checking it out. Big thanks to my patrons who still keep funding me to experiment because without them I wouldn't be able to experiment this much with some of the content that I make. Um, and you all, thanks for still listening to Crossroads despite all the changes and turns. Really appreciate you and I will talk to you again next week. Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a pole, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.